The Celtics season is over and in pretty devastating fashion. And now we look ahead to the offseason, which is littered with questions about the roster, how to navigate the Jalen Brown contract situation, CBA constraints, and some issues with confidence in our coaching. Let's get into it next on First of the Floor. It's going to be first to the floor here, and it was Marcus Smart as he usually is. Welcome into another episode of First to the Floor. Ben Vallis here. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Alongside me, as he often is, it's Mr. Wayne Spoonie. Spoonie, how are you doing after such a, a disappointing end to the Celtics season there? I don't even know anymore, man. We're just <laughs> particles bouncing around in space. Like nothing means anything. It doesn't matter. It's a simulation. <laughs> yeah, pretty good, I guess. Uh, Jake, also with us, I'll take Jake Eisenberg. How you doing, man? <laughs> I'm doing good. Honestly, I've mostly moved on. Um, I'm guessing those feelings will come roaring back as soon as I watch the first minute of game one of the finals and want to die again. But <laughs> as of now, I'm. I'm able to, I've got some perspective. I feel good. I'm ready to fix the Celtics. All right. Well, let's get into it. I mean, yeah, the finals, it's like a party that we're not invited to, right? Like yeah. maybe it's in an atrium style building that we can walk past and see through the glass, everyone clinking glasses <laughs> and having a great time. And we're just, just not allowed in. Sorry, not on the list. Um, look, the, the whole uh, angle for this podcast is heading into the offseason and just being funneled into it uh, in, in the way that we have. There's so many questions about what's next. So we sort of listed down all of the, the pertinent questions that we want addressed going through the offseason. And we're going to do our best to not necessarily answer them, but address them in the, in the best way possible. So um, I think the best place to start is Brad Stevens' press conference, which was held uh, today overnight, Aussie time where he uh, outright committed to Joe Mazzulla as the coach. I think the first question otherwise would have been, will we commit to Joe Mazzulla as the coach? Um, we know that to be the case. Spoonie, I guess as an extension to, to what we now know about Joe uh, and Brad's commitment to him, like, are you okay with that choice? Um, are you like, What assistant coaches do you think that Joe will bring in? And should we be concerned that at the first available opportunity, all of his existing or pre-existing assistants just fled the scene immediately. I, there's, okay. So <laughs> as far, what I will say about Joe is he's not perfect. Um, I've, I've said he's probably an average coach. I think he showed a lot of growth through the playoffs. It was painful at times, but he did show he's not bud. He's willing to change. He's willing to try new things. He's willing to switch up the starting lineup, which he was loath to do during the entire regular season. Um, it's a little concerning that it seems like some of those changes were his team asking for it, but um, maybe that's a good thing. Like he preaches open, honest communication, and it seems like that's not just talk. Like he really is open to listening to um, the team and what they have to say and his assistance. Um, so, I think it's okay to give it one more year with Joe, especially if you're going to bring in an actual staff for him. So am I concerned what that says about Joe that all those assistants left? No, because I think that is partly Brad Stevens fault because you promoted like the low man on the totem pole to the head coach position. Like if I was Damon Stoudemire, I would have been like, I would have felt slighted too, man. I would have been like, are you kidding me? I was the, you know, you doke his right-hand man after Will Hardy yeah. um, and Hardy's gone. Like, why is it not me? You don't believe in me. You're promoting the the paddle guy with Romeo Langford. So, <laughs> um, but it, but I don't, you know, there's some quotes and I think that Jared Weiss piece where it seemed like the assistant coaches like did learn to somewhat respect him, which I think considering the circumstances, like that can really fester and be a complete disaster. It doesn't seem like it ever got to that point. So that's good. Um, but I think, you know, I'm not worried about that because I think that was inevitable. All those guys were Udoka's guys. They're all Seattle guys or Washington guys or Oregon guys, wherever Udoka's from, Portland guys. Um, and I think Silas will definitely be coming in um, and then I heard, I saw on Twitter that Phil Pressey's been yeah. in the practice facility, oh, yeah. guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, so those two definitely. And I, I hope Vogel. I think Vogel would be the perfect assistant for what Joe lacks. 
veteran voice, defensive guy. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping he he's willing to take an assistant job. It's funny. It's like all we heard all playoffs and all season was the Celtics have like the worst bench. Brad Stevens screwed everything up. How did he not add a veteran staff? And then it's like, oh no, we're losing all of our assistants. <laughs> like, like they're approaching all of the high level Boston assistants. It's like, which one is it? One, <laughs> the bench is terrible. Or two, it's like this is another disaster where the Celtics are losing their bench. One thing that Brad was very clear on, it felt like to me, was that, and I know we're going to talk about the adversity, but like Brad was like, this situation was a mess. Like, I was given an entire summer to prepare everything choose my staff, talk to my staff, create the philosophies, principles, day-to-day habits. Literally three days was given to Joe. And and then on top of that, as far as like Joe getting better, like Brad said, you know, you could measure Joe's years in, as a head coach in dog years. Just like the amount of experience that he's got in this first year, thrust into the first, you know, year as a head coach, round one, Quinn Snyder, one of the best coaches in the NBA. Round two, Joel Embiid and James Harden. I was going to say Doc Rivers, but like maybe not one of the best. Well, <laughs> Dice omission. <laughs> team coach of all time, according to like the the thing that he got voted in for. But like James Harden and Joel Embiid, the MVP, like one of the best teams in the league. And then he was handed the challenge of trying to slay the dragon. The handsome uh, dragon. Uh, yeah, the elite four. <laughs> The champion, he was not quite able to to get past the last boss. Um, but like the those are some serious challenges, and like he's going to have learnt. Like, you know, he he made these changes a little too late by putting Rob in the starting lineup for the Sixers series. You know, next year where he's like, if I'm thinking that we might want to get to this, maybe he does it a game earlier. So I think that was like a big takeaway on Joe and Brad was that it was a really tough situation, which we all agree with. And that we really expect him to grow from this, especially when you add it in the context of adding these assistants. And I love that he's open to like bring in these high level assistants and be willing to listen to like what they have to bring to the table. Yeah, for sure. The, the tough thing about this time of year is that we sort of remember everyone at their worst. Like I think Malcolm Brogdon is on the tip of everyone's tongue as far as like pieces to move and trade this offseason. The guy just led the league in three-point shooting and won six man of the year at his first year with the team. And yet like we kind of, I think a lot of us feel like we can't wait to get rid of him, mostly because like we're just leaning too far in one direction positionally and we need to sort of have a, a better uh, like talent and positional diversity on the team. And then with Joe, obviously going up against Eric Spolstra uh, in that playoff series of the conference finals didn't look good for him. But if you remember Missoula Ball at its peak, like there was, there was so much off-ball cutting, off-ball movement. Like the offense was like a humming, beautiful machine at its peak. And that that is Joe Missoula and his team coaching the team. We don't know what happened midway through the season as that they sort of went away from that that beautiful game, that beautiful style of offense with all the off-ball cuts and getting to the rim and you know new ways of getting Tatum the ball. And, and we kind of went back into a, a more standardized offensive scheme. But at his best, like Missoula has proven himself to be a decent coach. Like everything you guys already said, you add in all those factors of him having a full offseason to develop, having uh, a bench, a coaching bench that he's actually... Uh, assembled himself I think we at least need to give him another chance and then you add in like the continuity factor like can we please just have like a coach have a repeated year uh, with this team I think is huge as well so I'm definitely on board Uh, as tough as that that was to grapple with with me uh, a week ago I'm definitely on board with running it back with Joe Mazzura and at least seeing what it looks like you can always sack him halfway through the year like so (laughs) many teams do I would hate to see that happen but I think that's the road we've got to go down yeah Yeah, promote Vogel yeah. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I was listening to Mike. I'm like Mike Malone interview on part of my take, and one of the things he talked about was like continuity with these guys. And I've always been a continuity guy. It's why I think the Celtics are so good. Like this core has been together for a while, and it's important to remember that they are so good. They were this close, and Brad talked about that too. Like a couple things go the other way throughout the playoffs. Maybe they're not in the position that they are. Um, in game seven or they just win game seven and they're getting ready to play tomorrow. So continuity is really important. Mike Malone's been the coach of the Nuggets for like six plus years, I think. Obviously, Spolch has been there forever. Like all the best teams for the most part, players and coaches, continuity 
is a key. Now, moving on to the next question for the offseason, and it's based on a, a clip um, that we've got that we're going to run here from Al Horford's post-game interview after Game 7. It seemed like a lot of players didn't think you guys found the consistency you needed to this year. How do you evaluate the consistency the team played with this year, and why do you think you might not have been as consistent as... You know, I'm not going to get caught up in consistency questions and things like that. We have a good group. We had a lot going on this year, and our guys should hold their heads, heads high because we had a lot of adversity. And in that locker room, we dealt with a lot of things. And our group was very professional all year, worked really hard. And it's disappointing that we didn't get our results. We, we failed. We failed because we wanted to win a championship. That was our goal. But despite that, I'm very proud of that group because there was never any excuse. We went through ups and downs, but we stuck with it. So um, right now, I feel like we want solutions and sometimes you kind of have to step back and look at the, at the work. And, um, and that's just not going to happen right now in, in the heat of the moment. So the question coming off watching that is like, what were the points of adversity for this team? Some of them we know of, obviously the Udoka situation, the the implementing of the new coach five days before the, the season started. From Obviously, I'm just speculating here, but from what Al said and the way that he answered the question, it sounds like there are a lot of additional points of adversity that were occurring within the locker room. So the big question is like, what were those points of adversity? And to answer them would be highly speculative, um, but that's also fun to speculate on these things that are absolutely <laughs> none of our business. So I thought we could try and go around the room and like rank, uh, for a lack of a better term, and maybe it's cathartic for us to do so rank the the points of adversity, the subjects of adversity that we know of for the team this year. So I'll start with the easy one. I've already said the firing of Ime Adoka. Spoonie, what do you think was the next most stressful thing going on in the locker room this year? The KDJB trade rumors. That was like right in the heart of the season. I think the team was not playing super well around then too. And they didn't like Brad. I, I think this is just Brad's style, but he didn't come out and wasn't like, Jalen Brown is absolutely not, you know, available for a trade. Like he didn't do that. And it was like a media storm about JBKD. And like, that's kind of the heart of the season when you're starting to wind up for the playoff run, man. Like I think it's in February is the trade deadline. So uh, I, I, I can't see how that didn't affect the locker room at some point. That's a good one. That is a good one. It just, the, <laughs> I love Jalen. But like, he's always like, these, these words were misconstrued and the media always does this. And it's like, you did the interviews. You yeah. have your feelings <laughs> on the media. If you think that, then why bother? So yeah, clearly that was, that was a thing. That we had the Tatum, Brad, Jalen three-way call, the famous- um, The famous three-way. The famous three-way. <laughs> you know, to see that, you know, or hear maybe, that. Maybe, maybe the underrated uh, um, adversity that they didn't face was the PP insertion in the three-way. In the three-way, um, yeah, in the three-way is that, or the lack thereof, the PP insertion. That was what mm. they were really missing in the three-way call. I don't think this is a real piece of adversity, but like Pritchard was clearly unhappy the whole year. Um, yeah. 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 I don't, I don't I think that matters, man. Totally. That stuff matters. Yeah. I like, that's probably a little lower on the totem pole, but like it comes out again today that Peyton Pritchard wants to trade. It's like, we got it, dude. We know. Yep. <laughs> Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now, new customers can get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. You got to get the app. The app's the way to go. And it's so easy to use. You get great promotions every day with the app. It's safe and secure and you get paid instantly. How about that instant cash with the FanDuel app? There's no better place to bet all your playoff action than America's number one sports book. Visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's FanDuel.com slash Boston. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issue is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. 
See full terms at FanDuel.com sportsbook. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com RG. Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Gambling Helpline MA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY at 467369 in New York. 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. Now let's get back to the show. I would add the Grant situation as well. Obviously, that's more of like a personal, isolated point of adversity for Grant, but that that clearly sort of permeates through the team, through the locker room, through maybe Joe's indecisiveness as to when or if to play him at all. He was like in and out of the rotation all year, particularly in the playoffs where we kind of needed like a, a player of his capabilities quite a lot and he just couldn't find a consistent um, place in the rotation there. You would imagine, especially with how vocal Grant is, and again, we're speculating here, that that had to have an effect on the locker room as well. Um, what else What else do you think, Spoonie? Anything else that you want to speculate or guess on? It just seemed like all like the the constant like, we didn't bring our A game. I don't mm. know, like, it just feels like they kind of wanted to coast and like this fan, the fan base and the media expected a lot out of this team this year. Um, and it seems like they always had to like defend Missoula too. And like all these press conferences. So I just feel like that kind of goes into the email firing, but just like all season long, the it's just kind of like the roots of the email firing spread out and permeated into like, their day-to-day lives where it's like they don't show up for a January game and all of a sudden they're answering questions about their head coach. Like Mm -hmm. that's, that sucks, man. It's, it's like you, you're, you're on pace for the second best record in the league, but why are you guys terrible? Why do you guys hate each other? Should we fire Missoula? Should Marcus actually be the coach? It's like, it, it probably, probably feels like a lot to them. You're right. And like, from from the outside, it's like, what really was the thing? And maybe that speaks to the strength of the locker room. Like, you look at Embiid, he takes, I swear, any chance to throw any player under the bus. And Tatum takes any opportunity to, I support Joe. We need to re-sign Jalen. Whether or not he believes those things, that is the correct approach in the middle of adversity. When, sh- when shit's hitting the fan, you do not react emotionally and create more of a media storm. So like, and then when, when it's happening to you as well, it maybe it feels, it feels worse. I wish we knew, but I, I do think it speaks to like the, the professionalism of this locker room, Blake Griffin, Al Horford, all these guys, you know, have been around the block. Um, and outside of Jalen kind of bringing like attention to the team by their own volition, it felt like they did a pretty good job of just like saying, yeah, we're going to find it. And they did. Um, and again, going to keep saying it, they were really freaking close to making the finals. Mm-hmm. Remember all the JB Kyrie stuff too? Like, oh, yeah. God, yeah. That's a good <laughs> yeah. one. That's definitely a yeah, thing. Like, yeah. That was this year. That feels like a million years ago, but that was this season yeah. too. Like, that was a big deal too, man. I did hear uh, multiple people, like within the team and in the media as well, sort of insinuate uh, multiple times throughout the season that there was maybe like a Marcus Smart personal thing going on. And like, I'll end the speculation there because it's obviously unfair to, to Marcus Smart and whatever to, to try and guess we always what happened get, there. We get two to we four of those every year. <laughs> Mar- everybody yeah. hates Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart hates everybody. 
Jalen says, I think he's my brother. It's like, oh, well, here we, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounded like there was maybe something going on in his life that was like affecting yeah. him as a player and like as a, as a member of staff on the team, for lack of a better word. And if you look at his sort of up and down season and how like once the playoffs started, it was like, there he is. Like he was always there the whole time, but he's just been like dealing with some shit. Maybe that was an issue uh, as well, but I've saved that till last because I, I think that's on the bottom of our rankings here. Let's mm. move on to the, the meatiest piece of meat in the sandwich. And that is this question. Exactly how much does Supermaxing Jalen Brown fuck up our cat cap situation? And what's changing with the CBA that makes this a thing to begin with? And before I throw to you, Spoonie, who is the most qualified person possibly in the world to answer this question. Spoonie <laughs> Mike Zarin, Spoonie at number two. <laughs> yeah. uh, Spoonie wrote a, a great piece on Celtics blog, uh, which you can find on Celtics Thank blog. Uh, and for me, uh, I'm an idiot. And I found this to be like the, just the easiest way uh, and the most succinct yet informative way to digest all of the information, all the questions I had about like what's going on with Jalen Brown and what are the constraints around the CBA that make this situation complicated. Um, so go and read that if you haven't already. But we do have the man with us, Wayne Spoonie, to sort of answer this question verbally. So like, like I guess that, that's the question. How much does it fuck up our cap yeah. situation to Supermax Jalen Brown? Yeah, so um, it's the biggest thing that fucks this up isn't the new stuff. It's something that already exists, and it's the combination of the luxury tax with the new stuff. So, do you guys know how much luxury our luxury tax bill is this year? Wick, Wick has to write a check for sixty four million dollars <laughs> for this team. Write the check right now. <laughs> write the check Wick. right now. Yeah, and you think you're going to re-sign Grant probably? Tatum gets a raise because he gets those huge raises in his current max contract. Basically, everybody's contract goes up with the cap. So yes, the cap will keep increasing. They did cap smoothing at $10 million, but the pace of the contracts are going up either even with it or at a faster pace. So right now, without a super max, we are paying $64 million a year on top of everything. Okay. So say next year, that's another $60, $70 million luxury tax bill. And then after that, you get Jalen Supermax and the repeater tax kicks in. So you are, I mean, this tax bill, if we do nothing and stand pat and just give Jalen the Supermax, this, this tax bill could be like $150 million. I do not think Wick Grossbeck is going to pay $150 million extra a year for this team right now. I, I And if he does, okay, hell yeah, you're the man, Wick. I will come, I'll buy you some chocolates and roses. I'll get Jay's <laughs> guy that does Derek White stuff. I was going to say, yeah, to you. yeah, you can come to the, to the, to the mistress penthouse for a night. <laughs> um, but On and us. then the, so the, the the new CBA compounds it right because there's all these limits on acquiring players. You can't take back money in a trade. Your draft pick can get moved to the end of the first round if you're over. There's this second luxury tax line if you're over that. So if you're good now and then you lose Tatum, like paying tax can screw you because you won't have your draft pick even if you're terrible. So um, and you can't use the mid level extension. So like. If we're if assuming Wick is not willing to pay that much tax, he's going to have to lower the salary bill. And that means getting rid of guys like Malcolm Brogdon, Derek White, Grant Williams, those kind of mid-level salary, Marcus Smart, um, in order to accommodate having a supermax. And then you can't really replace them because the new CBA limits the ways in which you can add talent to your team. So you are stuck with this dichotomy where it's like, we need to cut salary, which means we have to give up assets. And then also we can't even add with the mid-level exception. We can't do another trade where we add a little bit of salary and you know move Peyton Pritchard, take on a little bit of extra salary and get a better player. You can't even do that. You basically are just stuck downgrading your roster to cut the salary bill. And then eventually you're left with like, okay, we've got Jalen and Tatum on super maxes. And just about nothing else around them. Mm -hmm. Assuming Wick is not willing to pay ex exorbitant amounts of money, which I do not think he's willing to do. Do we know how like Wick has to pay? Is it actually Wick? Like, is like so the Celtics well, make revenue, right? Like, does their profit is that are they able to use that towards the tax bill? 
Yes. So they actually have a company. It's like Boston, Boston basketball company or something right. like that. And Wick is, I, th- I don't even know if he's the majority owner. He just might have the largest stake. Um, it, we have a lot of owners. It's a pretty, I think we're like one of the poorest teams, which well, is a concern. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, you absolutely can use the money that you generate. Um, and maybe we're making so much money. This doesn't matter. And I absolutely hope that's the case. But I'm skeptical. I'm very skeptical. Yeah. Well, Googling Wycliffe is his full name, which I did not know. Wow. (laughs) Is it Wycliffe? Wycliffe Grosbeck net worth of 400 million, which is a lot for a human, but like- yeah. Steve Ballmer is like a hundred billion. Um, yeah, it ain't cutting a hundred million dollar check a year, Rich. That's no. what I mean. So, like, <laughs> if it's Wick actually paying that, then clearly he's not paying that. But like, if it's a group, how much for profit? It is. Maybe that becomes a little more palatable. Um, I have a clip from Brad's presser that kind of like someone asked him how uh, the CBA will kind of affect him. He kind of goes priority about the core. And then talks a little bit about like the issues with like the biggest issues he thought with losing the the conference finals, which I think kind of helps frame this here. Every, every team's going to have to make tough decisions every year, right? Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we love our foundation, we love our core, and that's really our focus and priority. And for you mentioned offensively, that was you guys thought that was the biggest issue at the end um, of the playoffs for you guys. Just uh, those last couple those games. Last couple, yeah. I mean, maybe maybe we don't win game six, right? It, it goes both ways. It's probably a little bit of an exaggeration, Brian. I mean, game six, we played pretty well. We didn't shoot it well. We were seven for 35 from three, right? And we, um, and we struggled late in that game. You know, one of the reasons we struggled late in that game because they were scoring every time and setting up their 2-2-1. Then we're not going to be able to play fast up the court because they're extending the floor to make you take time to start your play later. And then we get into kind of our stagnancy that hurt us a couple times late. And that's not a new thing, right? And so we were way better most of the season late in games. But in the playoffs, we had moments where we got back to that. Everything plays a role in that. That's all tied together. It all fits together. So – like he, he, there was other questions about the CBA in there, but I thought that like quick response of we love our core, we're committed to our core, kind of like it does doesn't set, like answer whether or not they're gonna give Jalen the supermax or not, but but it kind of helps frame like we believe in our core, this is like our priority, and then sounds like yeah. sorry, go ahead. No, no, you well, go. Uh, it sounds like coming from a guy uh, who is not sure what the situation is as far as like how much Wick is willing to cough up uh, in terms of the repeat attacks. I just Googled like what the revenue, the yearly revenue is for the Celtics. And this is from Forbes in 2022, the yearly revenue was $361 million with an operating cost of $137 million. Doesn't leave a lot of margin to cover what is going to be an increasingly uh, huge repeat attacks bill. So obviously they have other sources of income and revenue, other investments that I'm sure are very profitable as well. So it's not to say that's the only place they can draw those funds from, but it is to say that they're in a way uh, lesser position um, than Balmer and other folks in the league. So it will be interesting. And so it does beg the question, sticking with the theme of this podcast, what's your preference as far as how we navigate this situation? And I'll, I'll list off what I believe to be the options here. So feel free to pile onto this. Supermax Jalen, long live the Jays. That's option number one. That sounds like we might put ourselves in quite the bind if we just opt for the simplicity of that of that option. Number two, Supermax Jalen, trade in a year when eligible. Number three, explore slash negotiate a non-Supermax extension, i.e. 25% of the cap instead of 35% of the cap. And then option four, explore Jalen trade opportunities immediately. And then we can get into what those trade opportunities would be. Spoonie, of those options or any other that you might have in your mind, uh, what's what's the go for you? I I love Jake's idea from the late night show, number three there, like Jalen Buddy. 
just take 30% of the cap. Oh, like, yeah, I know, I know, but that saves you. Cause like every dollar you're basically spending $3 with the tax. Right. So if you save, you know, 15 or I guess it'd be like $10 million a year or whatever it is, that's $30 million a year on the luxury tax. That is like very, very significant. And I want to keep, I love Jalen. I don't want to trade him. I didn't write that piece because I want to trade Jalen Brown. I wrote it because like, if we're going to sit here and be like in a year and a half, wow, this team is too expensive. Now is the time to trade him. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah, if we can get him to sign for something a little more manageable, I think it just sets us up way better. And that would be my ideal. So the the big question is like, that we that's unanswerable is, where is Jalen at? How does that conversation go? How do you like get Jalen to a point where he's actually willing to do that? And something I was thinking about is like, okay, if you're Jalen, it's like, oh, so I'm the one. It's always me in the trade rumors. Now I have to take another discount. What if Brad goes to Jason and says, we're, tr- we're trying to get Jalen. We want to keep Jalen. You want to keep Jalen. We want to keep winning. We want to win titles. Having both of you at the maximum amount we can pay you of this Supermax is going to like, we're still going to be good. You guys are so good that we probably still have a chance to win a title just because of how good you guys are and filling out the roster. But we give ourselves a much better chance to win a title if we give you guys both less than 35%. So we'll say, Jalen, we'll offer you 30%, but Tatum has also agreed that when his Supermax comes up, to take 30% of the Supermax or whatever it is, 30% of the cap. So it's like Tatum's sacrificing, you're sacrificing, you're both making $50 million a year plus. Yeah. <laughs> like, but that's going to give us a better chance. And it's like, we're not treating Jason as the golden boy. We're all sacrificing a little bit here. That might be the play. I have no idea if that plays. Like, it, I, don't, I think it depends on the guy. Like, show him the video of Tom Brady winning Super Bowls. Tom Brady never was a, the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. Patrick Mahomes is doing it now as well, in that he's sacrificing money on his contract so they can field out a roster. It doesn't seem like something that happens in the NBA, mm-hmm. really, for some of these best guys. But the, the Supermax stuff, we're in, we are in like uncharted territory with the Supermaxes and. All that kind of stuff. Uh, that would be my negotiating strategy to at least explore if that's realistic. Yeah, that's definitely my preference as well. I just I don't think the NBA players union envisioned having their contracts negotiated down when they agreed to this new CBA, and so and well, they're still going are, up. It's just sure, like not yeah up sure. into the like next galaxy up. Yeah. yeah, it's like <laughs> oh my god. Dude, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, you go. I've got nothing. (laughs) Uh, I was going to say like- (laughs) Please save me. (laughs) Like, Jake, this is literally uncharted territory because I think we're going to be the first team to ever have two Supermax guys. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, literally, this has never been done before. We're going to have two guys making $300 million. (laughs) Like, that's absurd. That's insane. That's over half a bill. Yeah, Yeah, and I- I was just gonna say, like, Jeez. I got into, I got, I got into this thing with someone, like, some people on Twitter, and I retweeted, like, um, Draymond had this video about how you don't break up the Jays because, you know, it gets worse without that. You got to bring in guys like Otto Porter and Gary Payton and and Nemanja Bjelica to fill out the roster. And I was like, I legitimately don't think that Draymond fully understands how like the CBA will work and like the two supermaxes, like. The Warriors didn't have to deal with this. Mm-hmm. Like they did not have like if Jalen took a normal max, then they can keep all three of you and do all the other stuff that they did. And they had an owner that was willing to pay. Like the reason that they've changed the CBA is because you guys literally did something that's never happened before and that like pretty much no one else can afford. And so it was like, the inverse people, of our yeah. situation. They benefited exactly. from a quirk in the CBA. It was perfectly timed when their contract resignings yeah. came up. We're in the exact opposite situation. This could not be timed more poorly as far as the players we have on roster, our chances to re-sign them, and the new constraints being introduced by this new CBA. It's fucking brutal. But Spoonie, you did a, a you know you prefaced this in your article and you mentioned it a moment ago. Like none of us want to trade Jalen Brown. 
We love yes. Jalen Brown. I mentioned earlier, like the unfortunate thing about this time of the year is that we are sort of remembering everyone at their worst, given the disappointment, disappointing end to the season. And yet there were times throughout the regular season where Jalen Brown absolutely carried this team. Huge stretches. Like I remember when he came back with the mask for the first time, Tatum was struggling with his shooting efficiency as he kind of did throughout the entire year. And Jalen Brown was like carrying this team. And, you know, there's all those arguments among the casuals that, you know, that maybe Jalen Brown is the better player of the Jays. Obviously, he's not. But he at least sort of like reintroduced himself to that that conversation. He reintroduced that conversation to the fan base multiple times throughout the year. So he is very good, had a very unfortunate end to the season, but he's incredible. We love him. We don't want to see him go. That said, he may have to go. He may just have to go, which is where we start to shift the conversation towards, okay, well then, like, when do we move him? Is it now? And if so, what can we get for him? And I think we've got some pretty spicy trade ideas between the three of us. Uh, some of them we, we mentioned on our late night show uh, on CLNS there after game seven, which if you could bear to go back and listen to that and hear the disappointment <laughs> in our voices, um, oh, I challenge you to do so. So we will re- maybe repeat some of those, but Spoonie... You had some great ideas cooked up in your article there. Do you want to run us through some of those? Um, yeah, I think my favorite, um, and actually shout out to Joe. Um, Was it uh, first to the floor? Oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> Our Joe, uh, because he was the guy who was like, I think we should go after Mikhail Bridges. And I think Bridges is the perfect target because the big thing, if I'm looking to trade Jalen, I want to get two things back. I want to get a guy whose skills aren't so overlapping with Tatum. Um, You want someone who accentuates Tatum's abilities just a little bit more than Jalen. I want a big time spot up shooting or ball handling, preferably both, but that's probably not going to happen. So, and you want salary relief, right? We're talking about how bad our cap situation is going to be. Well, it doesn't make sense to trade Jalen and then get somebody who's going to be just as expensive. Bridges is locked up for four years on $20 million, man, which is like nothing. Grant Williams is almost going to get that much money in the offseason. He's an incredible player. So um, the trade I had was this. This I probably got a little greedy with this one, but uh, Jalen and a pick for Bridges and Nick Claxton. And oh. Claxton's an expiring um, so you can either let him go for salary relief or you can try and lock him up on that sort of Rob Williams style contract, like 12, 13 million. So that puts you at like $34 million a year for those two guys. And Jalen, again, is going to get average annual value of $55 million a year. So you're saving $20 million. You're getting Bridges, who I think is like catching up to Jalen as a player. Mm-hmm. He's a way better defender yeah. and he's a better spot up guy. Not nearly as good in ISO or off the bounce, but uh, that would be my app. Like I would do that tomorrow. And I, I like, I really would super max be damned. I just think Bridges is that good. Yeah. I, what, what if, what if we keep Jalen and steal trade from Mikel Bridges? Oh, okay. <laughs> Get, get, get into that okay. later. But I, I, but I don't know. I, I don't know if you get back. I just don't know where Jalen's value is. Like, what is this expiring to? Like, does does the deal have to be like we've negotiated with New York? Jalen has agreed that he's going to resign. Like, yes. And this is the this is the tricky part. Like, how how confident is a team trading for Jalen going to be that he's going to stick by his word? Like, there's no reason for any for anyone to doubt Jalen. Like, he's been a pretty like he's just been in Boston his whole career. He's never asked for a trade before. So maybe he sticks by his word, but like he's, you know, not obliged to unless like, you know, the the, the agreements with different agents and different teams, like those relationships are so important that you 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 still you still end up signing with New York. That's just that would be the pop. I would I would do that today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I would too. I would, I think that solves a lot of problems while not necessarily downgrading our roster. Uh, all that much. And then the, the value in Jalen for a franchise like Brooklyn is a, a pretty big market there. You know, maybe they're not necessarily looking to pull the trigger on something that puts them into championship contention, but Jalen Brown is a highly marketable player, like just from a business perspective. And you put him there in a market like Brooklyn on his own, Spoonie's cat <laughs> Bingo. says hello. <laughs> um, I think that they would probably consider that as a win just as far as like the value of their franchise bums on seats in the Barclays Center every night as Spoonie's cat just bounces precariously behind his I'm head like, there. Is, yeah, is he going to yeah, s- jump on his head? Excellent. But I, I, Yeah, <laughs> I do think that they see, they might see 
some value in Jalen Brown, like beyond championship contention, just as far as value to their franchise there. Um, other trades, guys, what else you got? I, the, the Portland thing, I know we've talked about this. I don't know. If, if you can be positive that Scoot is going to be there at three, and I know the argument is like he's going to be 19, he's not going to be ready. You know who was 19 and was ready to make the conference finals? <laughs> Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Like, <laughs> if Scoot comes in and is by all accounts, like, most people think that he's going to be a jar SGA level player. And one of the biggest issues for the Celtics is like lead ball handle that you can like throw the ball to and like just be comfortable attacking and not get the ball stripped from them. And he, dude, he's a beast. Like he's 19, but he look, he, he's, he will, J- Jalen's jacked. Jalen's jacked. Jalen's <laughs> jacked. But Scoot is also pumped and jacked. Like at nineteen, it's it's kind of crazy. Like talking about dimensions of nineteen year old boys, but like this dude is is yoked. Uh, he's ready yeah. to come into the NBA and be really good right away. Uh, the only thing is like the shooting, but that doesn't really worry me. That we didn't hit any threes in the playoffs anyway, so it doesn't doesn't really matter. Yeah, and then and then either Scoot becomes the guy that you build with, or all of a sudden you've got like the future top point guard in the league and maybe he's not quite ready, but you have like these pieces and you're ready to trade for whoever, literally anyone. Does does it kind of extend the window as well? Because assuming like we're in the best possible position to supermax Jason Tatum and we will, like we will give him that supermax and therefore he's probably unlikely to walk. Does signing or, or drafting in this case Scoot Henderson, who might become the best point guard in the league, but is still so young. Does that kind of extend the Celtics' window of contention a little bit? I know I'm getting too far ahead of myself here, but you've got to ask <laughs> yeah. these questions. Should the Celtics Jake, win you three proposing- titles? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Eight? Are you proposing we get Simons back? Is that yeah. like the salary? Yeah. yeah. But I'd um, be looking to spin him from there, probably. I'm not oh, I don't think yeah. I don't think I love the fit of Simons, especially when you're getting if you're going getting Scoot and you have Marcus, Derek, and Brogdon. Um then you'd, you'd, tr- you'd be looking to trade. You'd be trying to probably look into shed salary a little bit there, right? As well, like. Um, but Simon's, are, from what it seems like, has lots of value, and you can go get wing, big man, OG. whatever. OG, um, yeah. Because now you've got you've got Simon's or you've got Brogdon, and that's that's the next step. Um, yeah, because I haven't looked at the Simon salary, but like uh, the OG. For Brogdon trade that I was going to throw out a little bit later, that can be Simons as well, and Brogdon can be moved for another piece. Ah uh, man, I love Scoot Henderson. Yeah, I I just think he's going to be a star from day one, dude. Like he is so explosive, his handle is so tight, he reads the game so well, and I think he'll be a good defensive player for his size. So I would I would do that in a heartbeat too. But the problem is. You might end up with Brandon Miller. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a draft night trade. Yes, right? draft like night trade. Three, yeah. Like he's going to go to, right? So I don't know, dude. Fun. Like like Charlotte, would you be shocked if they just take Brandon Miller because they have Lamella? Like Charlotte's not been a team that – like Bill Simmons has floated the idea that Charlotte needs to pretend like they're taking Scoot at the minimum. But then mm-hmm. – Yeah. But Charlotte is dumb. Like one of the worst run teams in the league. So yeah. like they're probably just going to be like, oh, we've got the star point guard. Let's take the the star wing because that's going to be the guy that fits next to Jalen. And then in five years, going to be like, oh, we definitely should have taken Scoot because he's way better than Lamelo. Um, yeah, if but it's a draft night like, trade. Yeah, if in the alternate world you're the competent owner and 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 manager of the Charlotte Hornets, you're just you're trading Lamelo right in that instance and and drafting Scoot Henderson or at least drafting Scoot and just seeing what you've got with both of them for a little bit. Well, on that, would you? trade no. for Lamella. No, no, no. I would not. No, <laughs> I hate Lamella. Yeah. He just is the he might be the worst defensive player in the league. No, no. I no, swear. No, no. He is way up there, dude. He's up he there, is though. so bad. Yeah. He is so bad. He just but, doesn't look like he cares either. No, yeah. like about anything yeah. other than his own metrics. Yeah. Yeah, I think anyway. yeah, when you look at makeup, character, dog, Lamello, we're not sure. Scoot is like made of dog. Beast. So much Beast dog. Yeah. Yes. 
I uh, just to round off this segment, I had, um, and this has already been shut down twice off air for those <laughs> listening. Uh, once by not re- no no one responding to it at all, and then quickly before we went on air. So um, Jalen Brown for Cade Cunningham and Marvin Bagley. The money works. Cade is uh, locked up on his rookie deal for a couple more years. Um, the feedback I got before the show, guys, was that Detroit likely don't do it. Um, but as far as like a, another a ball handler, another playmaker, play creator, someone who can score like playoff buckets, not that Kate is in any way proven on the playoff landscape, mm. but like he, he can get off mid-range shots. He can like get into the teeth of a defense and attack a drop coverage. Um, I think he could be a good pairing, a good addition for the Celtics. Um I'd, but yeah. I gather you guys don't agree. <laughs> no, no, I love Cade. I, me too. Yeah. I just don't think Detroit. Like, like Detroit thinks that Cade is going to be a top ten player, and so the, the yeah. surgery, the the shin issue, that doesn't like knock their confidence in him a little bit, and ours to that effect. <laughs> I think the shin issue was probably not a big deal, and that they wanted to get Wemby, and then they ended up with the fifth pick, which is so bad. Probably fair. Such a <laughs> such, a, and then like we can't trade Cade because we're going to be. They might be worse again if they trade Cade for Jalen, honestly. Like, sure. And the part of the beauty of Cade is like he can basically he's six seven, right? Yeah. He can play point guard, he can play the two, he can play the three. Yeah. So you can basically draft anything around him and he fits. So like he is such a perfect building block. I don't know if he's gonna be a top ten player, but I think he's gonna be an all-star pretty easily. And he's just so versatile, dude, that like that's another one. I I I don't know how you can say no to Cade's talent seriously. And Bagley, I guess, is a fun <laughs> reclamation project. He's a big. You can roll out there. Takes Cornets minutes, yeah, right? Grant Williams <laughs> yeah. and get another injury-prone big that's worse than Rob. It'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, moving forward, like what are the what are the biggest glaring issues for the Celtics that need to be addressed this offseason? We can talk about that through the lens of, of roster moves and adjustments, or we can just talk about it from a coaching perspective. Jake, like what, what would be the first thing that you would address with the Celtics this offseason? I think it it has to be, I think, the crunch time playing with the lead with ten minutes with five minutes to go, with seven minutes to go. Like if they if they're good at this, they win game one against Philly, up four with like two minutes to go. And Brad even cited these things as well. I was going to bring all of these games up on the podcast. In the presser, Brad was like, game one against Philly, game four against Philly, game five against Atlanta as well, which I forgot about, which maybe was the worst one, where they're up 12 or six minutes to go to close it out and said so they have to go back to Atlanta and play game six. Game one against Miami, they're up 10 in the third quarter. Not quite the same thing because I didn't like bleed out like in the last five minutes, but up nine, six minutes to go against Miami. If they win half of those games, it's a completely different playoff run. Completely different playoff run. That is at the top of the list. And Brogdon, we'll get like, like we, we can rank it, but I think that this conversation brings us to Brogdon. Yes. That's Absolutely. where I was going to go as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was brought in to be the guy as the steady hand that can run the offense in crutch time and get you consistent points. And look, Brogdon, his shooting was great. He didn't really do anything else. Um, but I like to this. This is kind of this is what I'm going to bring up. But I think it's all sort of the same thing. I had an exchange with Eric Weiss. Shout out, friend of the program, Legend. on Twitter. Um, and it was not related to Brogdon, it was related to Jalen, but he's like, the reason these guys look like they don't know what they're doing or they get stagnant is because there is no offensive system. They haven't had an offensive system for years. They need to have a true offensive system. So like, it makes me think like, what does that mean in crunch time? Because a lot of teams do just like ISO hunt, mismatch hunt, and then go ISO. Um, like, you know, even like the the Kings, they were the most systemy system team that ever systemed this year and even them in crunch time in the playoffs it was like dribble handoff yeah. with fox fox gets a mismatch he goes one-on-one so I, I i mean i maybe figuring out and we talked about this a lot is like what is it that you that's unstoppable about your players or your offense that you can go to in crunch time and do you need a new player to solve that or is it something involving tatum 
like Jake says, maybe posting them up or something. But, uh, a yeah, new, a new player both. that can get yeah. Tatum the ball in the post. Yeah. That'll be great. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually, I actually think that these issues are all fixable by making zero changes. Like they yeah. can do nothing and like put this, put the system in, put Tatum in the post, saw something else on Twitter. Like the, the, the drive and kick Missoula ball offense, they go away from, and the famous quotes from last year with the Doka, where it was like Marcus Smart calling out the Jays, being like, I can't, there's only so much I can do from standing in the corner. Marcus Smart has ended up in the corner how many times in crunch time this playoffs? And it's like a lot. And that's been a, that's a problem. So, like, they have the, the tools, like, we've seen it at times work, um, whether it's putting in specific plays to, to get over the hump in crunch time or take him in the post, whatever it is. But I do think that they don't need Brogdon, even like they can get rid of Brogdon and um, fix it without him. So the other piece that I think that we did lose, even though we were, I thought the defensive like ceiling, I think we did see at times in the playoffs, but I was confident we were going to see it a lot more in the playoffs because I thought we, we saw it throughout enough in the regular season, but we didn't. So Brogdon, we we trade Brogdon to our friends up north in Toronto. Fred Van Vliet has just left or is planning to leave the Toronto Raptors, so they're going to need a point guard. Enter Malcolm Brogdon. For OG I would make babies with this trade. I, I want to <laughs> live with this trade in like a log cabin in the snowy woods somewhere, <laughs> just to like relax by the fire with this trade yeah. all night for the rest of my life. <laughs> like, and it saves yeah. us money. Four, yeah, and yeah. you and save four saves mil. us money. Yeah. yeah. So like even I don't I don't think you would have to throw in a pick, but like I feel like you probably do, just because I, I don't know. <laughs> Masayu Jury doesn't seem to make trades because he is like Danny in that he needs to win the trade by so much. Brad's kind of proven that if he wants to make a deal, he'll just like make it happen. So I don't know. Does it kind of hurt to like? trade a first-round pick for Brogdon and then trade a first-round pick with Brogdon to get OG, maybe, but, like, whatever. Let, let me ask you this. Would you trade Aaron Neesmith and spare parts and two firsts for OG last yeah. summer? Yeah, so that's I would. Yeah. I 100% yeah. would have, but, right? But, so but, like, is it, but is it the extra first-round pick, like, to, what's to get the OG? Of, what's the value of first-round picks to this team at this current juncture? Like, it's not really to draft players and have them become part of the rotation, is it? The value in those picks are as trade chips. Am I wrong? Like, we're, we're not expecting anything from a, a mid-to-late first-round pick. We are expecting something out of a trade, like, you know, getting OG Ananobis. So I think there's more value in trading the pick than there is in keeping it and using it. But then when we start to think about saving salary... Like you, you're gonna want to hit on the 35th pick this year or your first round pick this year, next year. So when like, if you have to trade away Marcus Smart because everything gets so crazy because maybe you're valuing Derek White above Marcus Smart, the guy you drafted 35th overall or 28th overall next year is the talent replacement on that cheap contract or it's Scoot Henderson. So it's whatever. It's JD Davison. Yeah. JD Davison. Oh, yeah, I love JD. <laughs> Let me ask you this: like, if Brogdon is, and I, I agree, I think Brogdon's gone. Like, yeah, I think that that's is redundant very, skill set. Yeah, wouldn't it make sense to keep Pritchard? Yeah, uh, apparently he's Sign like him for he cheap out. extension. I that sucks, man, because that, he would Too be the perfect like third. Yeah. I know. Too bad. Yeah, you're playing, damn it. Too bad. <laughs> like we've got him for. We have a team option, so maybe you, you like. Because you we trade, do. yeah, and so you trade for OG or a Jeremy Grant, essentially big wing that plays real defense. OG is like the best option, obviously, because he can play all defense level um, caliber. And then Pritchard plays the Brogdon minutes, and there will actually be a role for him because you're you don't have the three guards, um, and maybe you yeah. just lose him after next season. But it's not a disaster because it's just Pritchard. Yeah, it's yeah. like look. Give us a year to prove to you you're part of our plans, and if you if we don't convince you, you can sign somewhere else. But if we do convince you, we'll lock you up for to a nice cheap contract to yeah. play 18 minutes a night. Yeah. yeah. So this uh, segued perfectly into the we've already answered it. Who is the most tradable Celtic? It's uh, it's yeah. definitely Malcolm Brogdon because of his redundant skill set. Is there anyone else 
who Gallo Ooh, being moved. Gallo, yeah, I think that's <laughs> well, a yeah. legitimate call. Like, just yeah. that's a, a chunk of salary that that is movable for us. Um, and I just don't see him being very much of a contributor, especially coming off the injury. I want to see it so bad, though. He he's been so <laughs> excited to join the Celtics all year. Every post has been like the most emotional, heartfelt support for the Boston Celtics organization. Before we move he's off, a Brogdon, I, I know, Sorry, I know, I know. He's he's the best. Before we move off, Brogdon, I do have two more trades. I know we talked about Mikhail. I don't know if you can trade for Mikhail Bridges using Brogdon and then all of your picks, like because then you have Mikhail and Jalen and Jason, and then you just that's your your core and then um then maybe you, you get off Jalen later on. Um or something that me- maybe is more realistic is Mike Conley for Brogdon. Like I know he's a free agent, but he has like an a, an option that he can pick up. Mike Conley is definitely way more the like point guard point guard yes. than Malcolm Brogdon. So like that's the type of guy that would potentially solve those problems in as a and a guard, and you put him on the Brogdon plan as far as health wise goes, because he's a bit older, and you know he can play that twenty eight minutes a game. Um, I don't know if the Timberwolves are going to get one or get rid of him because they need someone to play pick and roll with Rudy Gobert, and Brogdon can't throw a lob to anyone. Apparently, um, I don't know he, if he threw, uh, threw a single pass, period. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he threw a, a single lob to Rob Williams the entire season. Um, uh, the Brogdon health plan, it almost worked. It worked it did, right it up so until close. game five of the Eastern Conference Finals. What the Finals. hell, dude? We almost got there. So brutal. Damn it. Uh, all right. I would, uh, real quick on Brogdon, I would, I would also, if we can't find like a wing on the OG level, uh, we need a center. We need a center so bad, man. Because Al clearly is just like not going to be able to give you starter level play anymore. And Rob is Rob. Like, I don't. I, I had a, like a spicy trade uh, with Phoenix because I heard that nah, Phoenix nah, apparently nah. has expressed interest in Brogdon, Ooh, and then you can get up to, uh, you can get up to thirty million, Uh-oh. and you can get to DeAndre Uh-oh. Ayton. No. If that interests you. Culture killer. No, we <laughs> dog. <laughs> we 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 need dog, not a dog. Hey man, he was good in that finals run. He was really good. Yeah, that soft run. <laughs> That soft <laughs> playoff run against like the Kawhi-less Clippers and the the Jamal-less <laughs> Nuggets. No, nah, I'm not just about putting it. it out there. I, just I, putting it out yeah. there. I got to get Nas Reid into the the trade machine and see what we can we can figure Ooh. out there. Uh, he's yeah. a UFA. I'm pretty sure. So okay. we need to be like a sign and trade or something, which I don't think will work for which us. We, but yeah. we can't do. That's brutal. Yeah, we literally can't take somebody in a sign and trade. Unfortunately, this is the most disappointed I've been since we lost Game Seven. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, a couple more to, to wrap up here because we want to make it uh, for the tip for for Game One of the Finals here. What offer is Grant Williams going to get? Spoony, you and Chris Forsberg, you kind of went back and forth on this. What it feels like centuries ago at this point. So much has changed since then. Uh, twelve million per year sort of seems like the general consensus, which I think is what he rejected initially. It may have even been more than that. Um, so twelve to fourteen. What do you think's fair for Grant? Uh, yeah, I think uh, Grant tried to bet on himself, and I think he's we're going to end up right where like Brad originally. Up, Brad seems to know really know the value of players, like because he's kind of nailed smart Rob. Um, so I think, yeah, right in that 12 to 13 range, a little bit lower than Forsberg and I predicted. Um, so I will be eating a Vegemite sandwich on the, <laughs> yes. on a live stream. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, right, right around there. Oh, really? I'm hungry. Could smash. I'll eat one too out of solidarity. Yeah, I yeah. one after this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um, I would be surprised if it's more than 12 million, but like I, I need, I want to do a proper, have a look at like all the teams that have cap space and all the free agents, I just don't see it for Grant. And the restrictive free agency thing is a nightmare. Like if you're a restrictive free agent, it's a disaster. Like because if a team offers Grant a restri- uh, uh, offer sheet, that money is just held for like three days. And free agency, as you guys have seen, like it starts like, well, it's already over when it starts basically. Like the the window opens and then all the deals just come like flying through um, because everybody's been tampering. Um, So like the restricted free agents typically are after everything's been done and and the Celtics have the the ability to match. 
And so, yep. like, when these teams, their, their money gets held in, like, no man's land for a few days, I just don't see anyone prioritizing Grant with, like, real cap space. Like, if you think someone's going to offer Grant $18 million, like, more so than, than – I, I, I think I had some of these guys up here, but it's, like, um, a cam, like, Cameron Johnson is a restricted free agent. Like, he's going to probably get re-signed or get a much bigger offer sheet. He's, like – Grant Williams on, on steroids, Rui Hachimura, Austin Reeves. Like, there's so many guys that I think that are going to be ahead of Grant in that pecking order. Jeremy Grant, Harrison Barnes. Like, there's just, I'm not sure I see it for, for Grant. Like, Nas Reed. Yeah. And we, we just have to sign him as well, right? Like, just to own and maintain the asset. Yeah. And with our lack of cap yes. space and inability to sign anyone in free agency or have any really maneuverability at all, just to own the asset going forward, even if we do have to match like 17, 18, I think you've still just got to do it, right? Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. Grant's young still. He can get better. You know what I mean? Like, he comes out shooting lights out a little better with the handle. It's all of a sudden that's going to be a deal at $12 million a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, if, if we just get Grant back to how he played in last year's playoffs, and then speaking of Grant, which we don't have to get into today, but, like, there was the reports of Tatum and Jalen being like, what the hell happened to Grant's minutes yeah. in, like, March? Yeah. Um, even, yeah, so we can get into that. He was time. playing pretty bad. I know, but, it, it's, <laughs> but more, it's great they want him. It's, they yeah, want that's, him. that's yeah. my point. I think yeah. he's more interested. It's like yeah. He was yeah. really important for our playoff run last year. Like, we got to get him back on track. Yeah. So we'll, we'll end with this and then we'll, we'll quickly talk about like what's coming up for our show and just like a, a year in review there because I think for us at least, maybe no one listening cares that that's worth touching on. Uh, what's <laughs> like Who's going to benefit more this offseason? Tatum and potentially getting wrist surgery? Or Rob Williams having his first healthy offseason in like a while. What excites you more, Spoonie? Uh no, Jake, you go. I'm not ready to answer that yet. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't think the wrist surgery is going to do anything for Tatum. I, I mean, I. I don't know. He looks. He looks fine to me. Like in outside of some pain on his left wrist. Maybe that's the reason his three point shots fallen apart over the last couple of years. But um, I. Uh, I would not expect the wrist surgery to have a significant impact on him. If anything, I don't want him to get wrist surgery. Just push through it for the rest of your life, um, and make and, and, get, and get the full off. Like, do, I don't even we don't do we even know for sure if he needs the wrist surgery. I don't know. I feel like it's Who something. Kind of seems yeah. like he does. Like he's had like I a freaking like a ropes tied around his arm yeah, for like two years now. It's time to do something about that it's a non-shooting hand he can shoot with a ping pong paddle on his left yeah. hand and get that jumper working again <laughs> I hope but so. yeah i think it's rob yeah me too dude like if he gets back to 38 yeah. percent from three he's gonna be uh, he's gonna be he might win the mvp next yeah, year please if he can get back to that we dude kind of but yeah i think happen. it's rob yeah we do that would solve so many of the problems we've talked about tonight mm-hmm. if tatum's just like one step higher that's always anyway it's rob yeah. yeah. So before we wrap up, just a really just a quick moment just to, to thank everyone who has listened this year and tuned in and for all the new subscribers. And, you know, we would obviously like many more new subscribers. So share the show <laughs> with your friends, spread the news. Uh, but we love all the interactions that we have with everyone on the show. Obviously, like we do this for fun. It's essentially a, a not-for-profit organization. We do it because we love it. And a huge part of that is just all the interactions, all the comments, all the likes, reviews, all the times that you guys reach out to us with questions and, and comments and praise and things like that. We love it. So thank you to the audience. You guys make the show what it is. Spoonie, Jake, huge year for, for you guys. Jake, your first year on the show. Spoonie, your second slash third-ish. Um, yes. Big, yeah. big years for us on the show. Obviously, we got a gig with Celtics blog earlier in the season. And then uh, when that kind of got shut down due to some SB Nation podcasting funding issues, uh, we transitioned to CLNS, who we're still with, that we've been doing the late show with recently. Um, just the access to the staff, both at Celtics blog, which we still have, and at CLNS, and to be sort of part of their chat circles and to sort of be somewhat on the inside there um, has just been a real thrill. Obviously, being a longtime Celtics fan and following a lot of those people in the media for a long time, to be somewhat of a part of that now is just such a thrill and so exciting for all of us. Um, and in terms of what's next for the show, more of the same. We're going to continue to do what we do, live streams uh, on our channel and potentially on the CLNS channels as well. 
Uh, we're going to continue to leverage our existing networks for some of your old favorite guests to come back on the show, like Forsberg, like Greeny, but hopefully some new exciting guests as well. And uh, essentially, just just more of the same, more of our unique tone when it comes to covering the team and discussing the team and celebrating the wins and commiserating, which is what we're doing right now, uh, the losses. Uh, Spoonie, Jake, anything you want to add there? It's just it's been such an exciting year. I just wanted to make sure that we touched on it. Yeah, yes, I mean, I was I was just an idiot writing stuff on paternity leave for Reddit three years ago <laughs> and because of this show the only reason celtics blog knew who i was and was willing to look at my writing and possibly hire me was because i was on this show and we had gotten picked up so very appreciative of that fact man and it's been awesome doing this and writing for celtics blog like seeing that some of the interaction and the praise and the hate which is something i'm still adjusting to at least on celtics <laughs> blog yeah. uh but yeah i'm just super appreciative of you ben and this opportunity and you jake it's just been a really really fun year except for like three days ago <laughs> yeah <laughs> however long ago that was yeah <laughs> it's just so fun talking celtics with with you guys all the time like you know i don't have like i have my i talked to celtics about it like with my dad, but like having like you guys to come and talk seas with the, the good, the bad. It's just like it makes the wins that much sweeter, makes the losses that much less painful, honestly. Like <laughs> yeah. it, it, really, it really does. And everybody in the chat, like going through it together, it's so much fun. And uh, the playoffs were, it's like my favorite time of the year, but it, it's also the worst time of the year. Um, but like this show has been <laughs> awesome. I love that it's growing. I've learned so much from just like how to make shit and uh, yeah same yeah. and we're just and we're just and we're growing it's fun to be part of something that's like continually growing and you put your energy in um yeah the, the hate on the hate for spoonies i think that's more celtics blog driven driven than spoonie driven i think there's yes. just some people that are like celtics blog said this yeah time I to agree. take them down yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it's just people being angry online as well which is yeah, a tale as, just as old as time yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, that, that was a great article, Spoonie, as as all of them Thank are. You. And if you're Thank listening you. and you haven't read that, make sure you go check it out. And obviously, we've got to give a huge shout out to Jackson Bauer and Joe, our New Zealand yep. correspondent too. They've been part of the show for a long time, more in a sort of a part-time capacity at the moment, just because of the time of day that we record, essentially. Um, but they're obviously still a huge part of the show and, and very vocal uh, in our Slack there. So big shout out to those guys. That is going to do it for this one. Thank you so much for joining us. A reminder that we are firing up our playback room for game one, uh, like right now. Um, so head over there if you want to keep it rolling. <laughs> That's playback.tv slash first of the floor. Thanks again to everyone who's listened and watched this year. We really enjoyed doing this. Uh, everything that we've just said, the interactions with you guys uh, mean a lot to us. So let's keep that going. We'll be back with another pod in a few days. Just depends on what the movements are with the team. If there's anything newsworthy that's worth potting about, we will be back to talk all about that. Spoonie, Jake, love your work, guys. Until next time, go Celtics.